you can't write a post about bad bosses or whatever and, and start preaching about that stuff because the people who need to read them don't give a crap about that stuff. They don't want to improve. So the best thing you can do is try to improve the people that do want to improve. Hello, I am Joel Ingram, and this is Crisis to Crushing It Podcast. Let's dive into this week's talk, and I'll help to increase perspective, expand perception, and allow you to change your reality. Enjoy the show. So today on the show, we have Ben Brealey. Ben is a leader, coach, and consultant with over 15 years in the industry. He doesn't believe in putting people in boxes. He wants to help to develop more thoughtful and effective leaders and managers with a focus on improving time management and productivity, which builds self-confidence and understanding that motivates team members. Ben currently enjoys his work with Thoughtful Leader alongside his day as a leader and manager, and in the next few years is looking to transition to focus exclusively on the online business. Ben, welcome to the show. Thank you, Joel. Nice to, nice to be here. Can you tell us what's going on in your world right now, please? Yeah, at the moment, I'm um, focusing a lot uh, with Thoughtful Leader on um, getting my name out there a bit more. So um, I've launched a coaching program recently, which is around leadership confidence. So that'll be kicking off in uh, early November. And the the format I'm using there is um, a bit of a half online, half in-person coaching sessions, or they're still online coaching, but they're individual coaching sessions. Um, and then I've also released an online course on time management for leaders recently as well. And other than that, I'm trying to do a bit more speaking as well. So I've got a, a speaking gig on Monday at um, Ernst & Young, where I used to work for as a consultant, um, talking about creating effective workplaces and that sort of thing. So there's quite a bit going on. And I've, obviously, I've got my day job as well, which is you know, consumes a lot of my time. Um, so all this stuff I do in the morning before work, at night or on the weekends. Um, and recently, I just took, took some time off to focus on Thoughtful Leader as well, a bit more steadily. So yeah, there's been quite a bit going on, actually. So it's, you've got a lot going on right there. I mean, uh, I've, I've, I've recently transi- transitioned into a, uh, an office role. And what I'm struggling with right now is making, uh, I don't like to use the word making time, (laughs) making time for uh, my passions, my family and my job. So being, I try to be more intentional with it because before I just used to be, I don't know, there was no, there was no plan. Just like we'd have this giant to-do list that never got done. Could you speak to that for us, please? Yeah, for sure. So for me, um, I, I consider a thoughtful leader as, I mean, along with my family, I don't have kids though. If you've got kids, then you're dealing with a whole another level of um, time management. <laughs> um, but, you know, I've got my wife um, at home as well. So what I generally do, I, thoughtful leader is probably my biggest focus um, in, in as well as exercise and family so that's the sort of order I do it in so when I when I get up in the morning I pretty much get up an hour or two earlier than I need to go to work do an hour or two on thoughtful leader before I go and then come home and exercise and that sort of thing so I sort of um, just stack up my activities so that I make sure if something goes wrong during the day in terms of you know work's busy I have to leave late or whatever I get my priority things done um, and some people do that with exercise, you know, they'll exercise in the morning and that sort of thing. Whereas I put that sort of in the afternoon, but generally I just try to carve out that time and prioritize um, my effort, um, which, you know, sounds pretty basic, but the challenge is sticking to it. But I figure once you get your key things done early in the day, 
um, where I'm actually more productive in the morning as well. Um, then you can worry less about it because you know it's done and dusted, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I do what you just said. So because I got kids, I train in the morning. Um, mm. It used to eat me up when I used to train in. So I'd finish work and then go training. But I'd be racked with guilt because I should be home with the kid, <laughs> with the kids. Yeah. So then, sure. yeah, yeah. you know, your own self care sort of slips then. So yep. my my train my my training is for uh, sort of like personal wellness. Yeah, so I mean like mental health and everything. Because if when I'm in the gym, I'm focused. There's nothing else going on. Yep. So so what what's the reason for your training and what type of training do you do? Uh, I do a combination at the moment. So I've um. I do weights a couple of times a week. I just do it at home because I've got like a home gym type thing. Um, uh, I've got a rowing machine which I use for cardio at the moment because my knee's a bit um, a bit busted. Um, and they're the main things I'm doing at the moment because uh, I used to play basketball twice a week and I ruptured my ACL. Uh, oh. Although this is, the, this is the funny thing about it is I, was, I ruptured my ACL, didn't really know it because it was a gradual thing, I think. Mm. Um, and so I was playing on it with no ACL and then the physio, one of my physios said, oh, maybe we should get a scan on it and they found out it was ruptured. So it was quite weird because I was playing basketball and I was quite fine um, for the most part with a ruptured ACL. Okay. So then I opted to actually do non-surgical option, which is um, basically a rehab where you do full-on rehab and strengthening and you don't really have the surgery at all. So then you, um, you're basically strengthening the legs and the muscles and doing a lot of conditioning to keep the stability in the knee. Mm. So I've done that as well over the last six or seven months. And then I went back to basketball after that and it was pretty good. I was there for two months playing basketball twice a week. But, but what happened was I went back too hard. So I went back to straight to two games of basketball a week. I was, all, I was doing four sessions of, um, you know, conditioning and strengthening on top of that for the, for the knee as well. And it was all too much. So now I've backed off. I'm, I've backed off for about four weeks. So I've got to let it rest a little bit. Yeah. But I'll, I'll go back again soon. So, yeah, I've just been changing it up a bit. So the rowing machine has been the uh, cardio of choice at the moment because it's got low impact. Cool. So, I mean, that's something I didn't actually know was, like, I, I did my uh, ankle, snapped all ligaments in my ankle last year. Oh, yeah. And yeah. They, took, they, they, were, they weren't keen for me to have the op originally. Um, mm. They said that you can survive without... Your, your your ligaments, which I didn't realize. This the intention was then to build a muscle up. So yep. I, I'm only talking to this to the point that you know some people you you could easily say, well, I've done this, I've done that, and then that stops them. Whereas you found another way to continue doing. Well, it, yeah, you know, it was quite fortunate. Yeah, you're right. So, um, what um my physio, uh, the, the physio I go to now is um, a specialist. Uh, non-surgical ACL guy so he's a big evangelist about it right he's trying to change the culture around it because you know you, you see a sporting injury you know someone you know high profile football player or whatever they do their ACL there's massive media coverage oh my god you know catastrophe mm-hmm. but the reality is so the media is making it pretty bad and in Australia we have the highest rate of um, ACL reconstructions I think in the world or one of the highest because we have a lot of you know Australian football players and things like that that do their knee a lot um, so the the non-surgical option is actually quite highly used in Norway and Sweden and countries like that. Um, and now, so my physio is trying to get it into Australia as more a common common option because it can work quite yeah. quite well without the surgery. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, that's fantastic. So, yeah, mm. I mean, you're right. I can understand why they've got the highest rate. I mean, you've got um, Americans got American football, Welsh have got yeah. the rugby, and then you had us in Australia have got Australian rules football, which is absolutely yeah, which brutal. Is, <laughs> yeah. I oh, know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So that, that that's probably what that eighty percent of the reconstructions. Oh, and netball apparently is huge as well. No way. Netball, big reconstructions. Yeah, yeah. A lot of reconstructions okay. in netball. Yeah. Okay, well I like the fact that you didn't let it told you back and you uh Jeremy, you know, that's quite timely the fact that you've you actually know that guy that's into that, isn't it? Well, luckily, yeah, so someone at work just mentioned it to me because I was describing how I ruptured my ACL, didn't really know it. Um, and the guy's like, oh, maybe you should talk to this non-surgical guy. So he booked me on to him. And I'd already been to see the surgeon and stuff, so I was actually booked in to have surgery. And then I cancelled the surgery and went, oh, no, bugger it, I'll try something different. Because, you know, I'm 39 as well. It, it, you know, it's not going to kill me if I can't play basketball anymore. So the worst case, I probably, I'm still, my knee's quite stable. I can do just about, well, I can do everything on it. So if I can't play basketball but I have to, I don't have to have the surgery, I'll be fine. So it's not that big a deal. If I was in my mid twenties, I'd probably go get it, um, get the surgery if it wasn't working, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so go. I want to just jump back a little bit to if need to start this conversation where you said that you get yep. up a couple of hours earlier. Um, something that I've struggled with, and I know my wife struggles with, is being intentional enough to get up two hours earlier. Yeah. So how did you, how did you get clear? What what helped you get clear on the reason you were getting up, and then how did you maybe prime your environment to do that? Yeah, it's a good question. My wife's the same though; she doesn't get up easily. Uh, so I've sort of I think it is a lot of it I can put credit to my parents. I reckon because they they were quite disciplined with you know exercise and all this sort of stuff. They just sort of they just sort of go, I'm going to do this, and then they go do it. So. But I think for me, what I what I what kills me when I um so if I'm at work, you know, if I don't do my thoughtful leader stuff in the morning, for example, and I go through the day, it actually really bothers me. I think I've just got it to the point where I can sort of visualise the pain of not having done it and the disappointment and the regret, I guess you'd say, um, before it happens. So it forces me to take action. And the other thing is, you know, my long-term goal is to obviously work on thoughtful leader stuff and do the coaching and that sort of thing um, full-time, which, you know, I've still got a way to go yet. But I know that since that's my goal and I've kept that in my mind, as soon as I don't take action on, you know, getting up early and doing certain things, um, you know you're sort of hurting that goal. So you are just damaging that by not, not taking action. And I guess that's how I do it. I just know that the pain or regret of not doing it is going to be really quite annoying to me. And so I make sure I do it essentially. That's, that's all it really is. I can't really put it down to much more than that. So you're, you're an away from motivation guy in this situation. A what, sorry? Away, away from motivation. So I, um, Oh, you mean running like making avoidance sort of thing? Yeah. Like yeah. I want to avoid the pain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I Yeah, that's true. I'm not really a, I really want my goal so hard that I'll run to it. I'm more of, I know how disappointed I will be in myself if I don't do it. And that's what gets me going. So you're right. Yeah. That's a great perspective to share because some people don't really understand when like there's things they can have going on in life that they, they are achieving in. So say they may be successful at work, but then when, when they, they don't actually apply those same principles to their home life and then they, yep. they, they maybe wonder why their health is suffering or, you know, their relationships are suffering. 
Mm. You know, so that's, I, I'm the same as you. I'm a, an away from uh, avoidance as well. I've never heard it said like that. I've never heard the uh, away from motivation. That's an interesting way of putting it. Actually. <laughs> yeah, that's that's from my uh, from my uh, my NLP teacher. That was. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So that's how we pitched it to us. You got a towards and away from motivations. Um, okay. Yeah, right. So if if you're getting up early in the morning, so what time mm. you've got to be in work? What, what when you say up early? What's up early? So for me, it depends what's going on. So sometimes I get up at five, and sometimes six. Probably the latest I'll get up is six, depending on what's on. Right. If I got to, oh. if I got to do something, okay. but um. With work, though, that's the thing, right? You've got to, I feel with work, and it's different for every job, right? You can't just you can't just assume that there's a one-size-fits-all where for every job you can determine when you start and finish and all that sort of stuff. Some are more flexible than others. And, you know, you might go and have a difficult boss and, you know, I might have an easier boss who lets me come and go whenever. So, But what I do is work pretty hard when I start a new role to set expectations around how I'm going to work so that I can um, build in that flexibility that I need. Because if I'm if I'm in a job where someone's demanding I get there at you know six thirty a.m. every day or seven thirty a.m. and there's no flexibility around that schedule, then I'm in trouble, right? So I, I work quite hard to make sure people understand. Here's how I'm going to be working, and here's what I expect to be able to do in my workplace. I think that's pretty important. So you set expectations for the environment you're going into. I mean, if yeah, is that with the so you you talking to the higher elements of the team then or to the lower elements? So you're sort of priming your brass for, for, for the way you're going to be. Yeah, I do that both both levels. So obviously with your boss, it's a bit harder. Um, but during the interview process and all that sort of stuff is where I start to sound out and see, you know, obviously you don't want to go into an interview and say, oh, by the way, I need full flexibility and I'm going to work, you know, 20 hours a week instead of 40 or whatever. Yeah. But um, uh, you, you've got to, you try to get a sense of what they're like as a manager and so that you can see whether you, you want to work for them or not. And, you know, these days workplace flexibility stuff is quite big. Um, so it's fairly common to have, you know, but you can, you, as long as you do your hours, you can flex with that time. And in Australia, it's getting a bit better in that regard. Um, but from a bottom, like a down point of view, so with my teams as well, I make it pretty clear that I don't really care when they work as long as they're sort of, you know, around for the core hours of the day. Um, as long as they get their work done, I, I couldn't really care how that work gets done because I want to set that example as well. So if I'm going to be coming in later some days or whatever, then I, I expect them to be able to do that sometimes as well. Um, and then that's sort of, yeah, so you sort of have to pitch it both ways. So when, when what, what do you think causes people to um, not, not, what's the word, to, to not manage their expectations and, 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 and time? What's what's the what's the blocker? Do you think? Um, not so. The blocker, I think. Well, managing expectations is tough. So that, uh, if you talk about that that perspective, um, I think it's it's probably the conflict element because if I if I have a conversation with my boss about how um, how I want to work flexibly or whatever it might be then that's you're introducing an element of conflict there and your boss has the upper hand in many ways because they've got more authority and they pay the bills and all that sort of stuff. So I think it's that that sense that saying no or pushing back is 
um, seen as a bad thing. Like you might be seen as not a team player or something like that. And I think that's what, in the workplace at least, I think that's what stops people from from doing that. Um, but but obviously, what it does is it creates. Another thing I try to do is think for the long term. So short term thinking would be. I'm not going to tell my boss anything. I'm just going to pretend that it's all okay. Long-term thinking is, okay, I better have the conversation now because down the track it's going to cause problems if I don't have that conversation now. So I think there's, yeah, that's how I sort of start to frame it in my head to make myself take action as well. Mm. That's good because, I mean, yeah, you, as, as someone else I've learned as well is trying to live in the outcome. Otherwise, yep. we just, don't mean, otherwise we're just reacting and uh, reactions are generally led by emotions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I think you're yeah. right. I mean, the the conflict thing, especially with coming over to a new role, I've I've been. You, you sound, it takes a while to sound everybody out because I'm not definitely management level, but I've I'm in a professional environment. But I'm also mm-hmm. acutely aware that I've got I've do you know because I mean? I'm still quite fresh. Yep. I don't want to be doing anything really untowards or anything that could uh, massively oh, for sure. yeah, yeah. people's perspective of me. No, you're absolutely right. So the best thing you can do when starting a new job and, you know, the best thing to set yourself up for success when you want to push back on something or say no to something or whatever it might be or negotiate is to actually start off by doing a good job. So if you're if you're doing a good job and you're perceived as credible and you're sort of, you know, you get along well with the team or whatever it might be, you, you set that foundation for being able to have a decent conversation with someone about negotiating something or pushing back on something. Because if people perceive you as, you know, oh, you're a lazy worker anyway or whatever, they, you know, they won't give you the time of day. They'll just say, no, no, you do what I say. Yeah. That's, that's my boss actually said, actually. He said we don't – because I come from a production environment, so I was shop floor and I come across to a, a role where everyone manages their time and their, and their responsibilities. It's, it's a yep. massive shift. I was 22 years on the shop floor. Oh, wow. So, so when you come over, it's a bit of a culture shock. Um, uh, for sure. <laughs> so you, you know, my day-to-day running was I knew what I had to do because it was basically out on the shop floor. So all I had to do was go and get it. Yep. Uh, and I just work my way through it. Whereas a low is similar in nature. The tasks within the office have got different levels of priority. And if, yep. if, if I feel that more than I did on the shop floor. Yeah, for sure. Does that make sense? I think it's, yeah, I think in some ways being on the shop floor is a lot, um, it's a lot more defined, right? You know what your duties are and you've got to work through them. I mean, I, I spent, um, when I was at university and stuff, I worked in a hotel for a couple of years. I worked on shop floor retail stores as well. And yeah, there's no real, you know, there's no real debating what you're, roles and responsibilities are there. It's pretty clear. Um, you know, I have to go and stock the linen cupboards on all the 15 floors by the end of my shift or I get in trouble, right? Yeah. Um, for example. So in some ways, office life can be a bit weird because you, yeah, you have these, and I've I've had a, I mean, my current role's um, pretty interesting because we've had a big new form team, all these new people have come in and sorting out the roles and responsibilities has been a bit of a nightmare. So if you don't do that, then it's probably what helps you it probably brings up that discomfort level in the office environment, I'd say. Mm. Yeah. I think you, you said something earlier on about conflict as well. I think um, from what I did, I've just done a Bell's course 
Um, mm. I don't know if you've heard of Bells. Um, but what came over in that was a lot of people. And it, it, it was talking to different like archetypes of people. So you got your, your dominators, your influencers, your steadiness, uh, yeah, yeah. and your compliance people. The disc, the disc assessment thing. That's it, yeah. So it was based around yeah, the yeah, disc done assessment. That. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So but, but what I realized was is, is very few people within the organization that are comfortable with conflict. You know, yep. it, the, the people that are comfortable with conflict seem to be the the dominance people. You know, they it doesn't it doesn't yeah, for sure. come into their heads. Whereas someone like myself, <laughs> high compliance, it's 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 a different it's a different animal. And I can say mm. now, it's not I don't feel comfortable with it, but I'm not afraid of it. And if I can frame it, and I think. Myself, uh, yeah, I feel like that's uh, like where what you said, you're not comfortable with it, but you're not going to shy away from it is, I reckon, the perfect place to be. Because if you're looking for conflict all the time, then yeah, you'll surely find it and you'll, you know, ruffle a few feathers. But you're right, and I agree with you. I think in workplaces, conflict is seen as a bad thing, particularly Australia is quite, um, I don't know what it's like in Wales, but in Australia, the culture in the offices is generally quite passive aggressive. So yeah. there won't be lots of yelling and screaming and all that sort of stuff, but you'll get lots of um, behind-the-scenes conversations going on that are – they do cause conflict, but it's very passive. Yeah. Whereas I think somewhere like the US, um, from my experience, seems a bit more um, – they're happy to have an open um, disagreement a bit more than what they would in Australia. Okay. Yeah, no, I'm, from what I've seen so far is – Passive aggressive is is the the one line that's delivered with a certain tone. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Oh, the yeah, yeah. the intent of the of the sentence is to and try and unravel or undo you. Yep. So yeah, that's, but that's, but there's plausible the plausible deniability there when they say, oh no no, I was just saying it was just a, a normal comment, right? Yeah, exactly. But that's, <laughs> that's what get, that's what gets you. That's what gets you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I mean, if you. If you when we talk about production environment, do you have you ever worked in a uh, an office production environment versus I don't know what the opposite of that would be. So I work in like a quality a quality role. Yep. And not that we're in conflict with, but it seems to be in 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 opposition sometimes to production. Yep. Um, have you ever been in those two different environments? I have in a sense of, so my background is in software development. That's when I started uh, my career. And yeah. from that perspective, it is similar because you have the testing, the QA departments versus the development um, departments. So then obviously you've got sales teams and things who are trying to push um, from that angle as well. So I think I know what you're talking about. It sounds like a similar type of conflict. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's an ongoing, <laughs> ongoing thing at the moment. However, they are yeah. making strides forward they, they bring in new new life into the company um okay where quality lean and production have been blended okay so yeah when you've got people coming in with those sorts of skills it's, you know it's hopefully it's going to shift culture so yeah you, you're less of the us and them mentality because you're mixing the teams together is that sort of what's happening yeah, and it's it, it's gonna change. Hopefully, change the culture. I'd imagine at middle management level, but mm -hmm. eventually, from from our environment, from what I can see in our environment, in where I work, the you've got like immediate leaders of shop floor, 
they, they used to have teeth. Um, but then it sort of turned into like a, a cutting your teeth rolls, so like you could or you couldn't. And yep. I think in a way that be, those people sort of become disempowered or they weren't trained uh, to, to, to manage the level of responsibility they had. Um, right. So these people are coming in, they're coming in from a high production environment where, um, you know, it, they got the MD on the shoulder saying, what's going on? What's your fix? What's the root cause? What are you going to do to make sure it never happens again? Yeah. You know, on their shoulder within 20 minutes, if the, <laughs> if the line had stopped. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. So, so the industry I'm in, that's, that's not the case at the moment, but it'd be refreshing to see that come in. Yeah, sure. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, what, what's, what's your take on culture? How do you shift? Have you seen culture shift in organizations? Oh yeah, it's hard. That's really hard work. Cause, um, but I think, I think culture is a lot about leadership, which makes sense because, and I see it driven from the top, obviously. Um, now uh, what I see the worst type of cultures I've been in, I've been in some cracking, like interesting places. So I've worked on some massive projects, building children's hospitals and all sorts of stuff, um, building new mines and that sort of stuff. Um, nice. and they, yeah, it, the chaos, there's a lot of chaos around those sort of projects, but at least everyone's pulling in one direction. But some of the places, I, I did um, five years of consulting as well for um, some of these big four accounting firms, and some of the places I've been in there, the culture's been pretty pretty stale. And I think it does come from leadership, and it, it comes from, I think a big part of it is holding people accountable and actually being willing to have those tough conversations. Because the first time, as soon as you overlook some sort of bad behaviour, you are setting a precedent for the future that that bad behavior is okay. And you're not only setting it with that person, but you're also setting it with all the people around that are watching you deal with that person. So for example, it might be your team or your colleagues or whatever. And then they'll start to go, okay, well that guy got away with this thing. So that means that's how we work around here. And eventually when that happens enough, you can't really hold people accountable properly and you get a culture where no one's accountable and they sort of get away with murder. And um, mm. I think that's that's sort of the tough bit as well because, and obviously it's, you know, my, my take is oh, if I've got a performance problem in my team, I need to manage it as quickly as possible so that it doesn't become part of the, the normal day-to-day -day and people understand where they stand. But not all leaders are like that. You know, every leader is dealing with different stuff as well and sometimes they've got bigger things to worry about and so they leave things and little problems become snowball into big issues later on. So it, it's a difficult problem but I think the, the standard sort of metric I've heard used is that culture shift takes, you know, five to seven years in an organisation depending how big it is um, if you're talking about quite a large organisation. Yeah, and you really – it's a lot about um, the people in the right roles I think as well. Because there's a lot of leaders I've worked with where they have great strengths in certain areas, but in terms of managing people and their particular roles, uh, I just don't think they're a good fit. But you get leaders getting promoted all the time because, you know, if you're a manager, you get paid more. So people want to become a manager to get that pay bump, even if they aren't that skilled as being a manager. And this is probably what you're talking about before where you're saying those people sort of taking on those roles and they're not used to that level of responsibility or have the skills to back it up, mm. but they want to be in those roles because they get paid more. So that's, that's the tension I think as well is that people want to be in leadership roles because they get paid more, 
but they don't necessarily have those skills to actually manage the people in those areas that they're, they're managing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, lots to think on, but there. It's, uh, yeah, no, I did. Yeah, it was a lot of talking. But yeah, no, 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 <laughs> no, no when, when you get on a roll, it's great because I get to listen, you know, and trying trying to take it all in. Um, okay, so could we have a look? I was, I was listening to one of your podcasts earlier on. Um, yeah, and it was the limiting beliefs um, around mm-hmm. time. Around, so limiting beliefs that ruin your effectiveness. Sorry. Yeah. So. Could you talk a little bit about that? Mm. I refresh myself on what they were. So <laughs> the, yeah, I call them limiting beliefs because I think it's just things people become accustomed to. So particularly in leadership roles, but it, but it's the same for any role. It doesn't have to be a leader. But when people start saying things like, oh, I'm too busy to do this, you know, I'm too busy to record my podcast, whatever it is, stuff like that, right, um, which you would have gone through. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I'm too busy to spend time with my team or I'm in back-to-back meetings all day so I can't check my emails or I, you know, I have to work 15 hours a day or whatever it might be. Um, all those things, I, I see, I still see time management as a choice, right? So if you, if you are willing to be stuck in meetings all day back-to-back and you're willing to attend all those meetings, even though a lot of them you don't think are valuable, that's on you and you've got choices to make, right? So you, you've got a choice to say, hey, guys, maybe we shouldn't have a meeting today. Maybe we should um, you know, just handle it by email because we don't need a meeting. Or maybe we could have this meeting every two weeks instead of every week. Or maybe it gets to the point where you say, look, the culture here is such that we have meetings all day. I don't want to work in that environment, and I'm out of here, right? So it's all about choices. And I know that some work environments are different than others. You know, I worked in consulting where I was doing big days, 12 to 15 hour days sometimes, depending on the project. And, you know, there's some environments where it's harder to manage your time than others. I've definitely had that. So I'm not saying everyone can just manage their time equally effectively. But the first one, yeah, for me is it being too busy to do stuff. And I think, well, no, you're not really. You're just making a choice that being too busy is better than actually prioritizing your time and, you know, deciding what's important. And so that's that's one of them that I think is a limiting belief that, that pe- it's sort of like a crutch that people use. Yeah. Um, I also think that um, lead as a, as a manager, you know, if you manage a team, right, no matter sort of what you're doing, you sort of want to get into a continuous improvement type mindset where you're always making things a bit better, you're working a bit better, improving things. Um, but if you're in this stuck in this too busy thing where you don't have time to do any of that. You're just going to be stuck on this sort of hamster wheel thing where you're just running day to day, not actually making any progress. Um, and so that's where I think this limiting belief is a bit of a bad one. Um, and there was another couple as well. The other one was um, around just just assuming your team can't do something. And I've heard this quite a lot, which is a killer. So if, I used to work at a company where one of the managers was, um, she would tell me about her team and say, oh, no, that person is no good for that. They would never be able to do that. And they were talking about, you know, this person potentially taking on a new project. Hmm. And I thought, oh, great, you know, give them a go, give them a bit of support. They'll be able to do the project. And this manager was like, oh, no, 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 they, they, they don't have that. They're not leadership material. They wouldn't be able to do it. So they've put them in this little box and they've said they can't do it. And straight away, you've just crushed that person. Because even if you don't say it to their face, they see how you're behaving towards them. So, for example, if you're on my team and I don't really trust you, I'm going to micromanage the crap out of you. 
and make and and I'll I'll be on top of you going what are you doing what are you doing and you will know that I don't trust you yeah. and that makes you think oh maybe I'm not very good at this well I don't think I'm doing a good job here you lose confidence and then you probably fail and then I tell everyone oh see I told you Joel was no good yeah. and then it's a self-fulfilling prophecy right so you're reinforcing it by making these assumptions that people aren't good enough to do certain things and it's a, it's a classic one with like people like quiet achievers and things as well you know if you've got a super introvert in the corner who doesn't say much they just do their work people assume oh no they could never lead a team or a project or whatever i mean that's i just think that's rubbish it depends on the person depends on the support you give them and that sort of stuff so that was two of them, and I can't remember the last one, to be honest with you. I was, I'm halfway through the third one, so I couldn't tell you. But what became abundantly clear was that it all comes down to choices. I, I believe that. Yeah, I strongly believe that. I feel like, I mean, I've just got a personality where I feel like a lot of things are in my control. And I know that in reality, not everything is in our control. But it's the same with the, you know, the ACL reconstruction thing. It's like, no, no, I reckon I can do the rehab and I can put in the hard work and I can take that on myself. Um, and it just depends on your, on your mindset. But there's, you know, I've got some friends who um, they sort of sit into that victim mode as well where they're more like, oh, no, I couldn't do that or uh, no, 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 it's too hard or, um, or they, they sort of talk as if life is conspiring that they can't do something. Um, and I think that's sort of like the opposite of what your podcast is trying to get get at, right? The theme of your podcast. Absolutely, yeah. Well. yeah. That's yeah. What, only because this, this this podcast is is my attempt to create something I needed four years ago. Yeah, because I was wondering. I mean, I don't know too much about your background, but I was wondering. Um, yeah, well, what is your what is the 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 um, genesis of this podcast then? Because it's got a strong theme to it. So, what what were you going through, if you don't mind me asking, that made you do that? So I, I went through a sort of midlife crisis um, when mm. I started to assess everything. I mean, every, everything. <laughs> you yep. know, life, yep. uh, my job. I was unhappy at work. I was bringing that home. Um, I yep. was unhappy with my condition, my shape, my health. Yep. I was, I was just basically unfulfilled. I think the best way to describe it is unfulfilled in, in, in yep. most aspects other than maybe a yearning to be with my family more which couldn't happen yep. because I was too busy in the hamster wheel of overtime and yep. you know, yep. more, more, more. Um, but that, that's, that's what I was four years ago. Back in 99, I, I become aware of NLP. Um, I was yep. going to do a course, didn't do the course. Uh, life took me different directions. 16 years later, I find myself in this hole I was in four years ago. Mm-hmm. And then I thought I, I, I knew the problems in my head. Because I'd been reading like personal development books. I thought the only thing that's holding me back is me. But I didn't mm. really understand what that was. So I needed, you know, what's the saying? Um, the thinking that got you here won't get you there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I was aware that I needed to shift my thinking, to shift my thinking, and I needed to know what I didn't know. And, yep. to, know, and to know that required somebody else to show me or help me understand that. So then I... Yep. I um, pursued a coach it was specific for NLP and he just show up and said he, yeah. worked, he used to work in the company I work for ah yeah and uh, yeah I mean I turned my life around turned my, <laughs> turned my health around my, my, my job um, but just by investing in myself and you know like you said earlier on about being consistent and staying the course and 
No yeah, way. now you're sp- spreading the word. I, I, I got to, Ben, because yeah. I know there's so many people out there that are sat in jobs they hate. Um, but yep. they, like you just said, you know, they're in the victim. So oh, I can't do that because I got my mortgage or, you know, kids or whatever. Mm. I, I made a, a move to the quality role I did. It was a massive impact on my family, like financially. Mm. But what it yep. did give me was time stability. So I now, know, I now go to work around eight, half eight, and I'm finishing anywhere yep. from four to five. Yep. Gives me a chance to train in the morning and see them. And then it gives me time in the evening. So I was working like a, a shift, uh, an afternoon shift, a modified double day shift. But like there's so many people that don't actually, they, they, they'll keep saying they hate their job, they hate their job. But when you yeah. say, oh, why don't you do something else? They just won't even consider it. Because, no, I know. I because know. Yeah, yeah. generally because yeah. of the money. Yes. You know? Or something about the job that's holding them. And when, you yeah. actually, when I actually got down to it, what was holding me was the money. Do you know what? Even though it impacted my family, as it did, it sort of reset our foundation because there was a yep. ton of stuff we were paying for and a ton of stuff we, we actually thought we needed. And it wasn't until we, we were in a position where we had to do some drastic cuts that yeah, I, yeah. I thought, Jesus, what, what, have we, what have I been doing for the last 20 years? Mm. How did I let myself get here where I've now got to do this? You know, I sort of like wishing I got there sooner, but your journey's a journey. Yeah. But it's it's yeah, given yeah. me great clarity to know that, okay, you know, we, we have to sell this car and other bits and bobs. But from that now has, has led, you know, increased health, um, you know, greater creativity with our thinking, um, all sorts of different things where we're trying to well, engage. And this, the, and this is the thing. Yeah. So you've got this impact on your family, you're saying, but then the actual, they're probably seeing the upside now. Where you're going, oh yeah, you're home more. Um, you got time to do stuff. You got more headspace to think about them and stuff like that as well. Probably, I'm I'm present more. Yep. You know, I was so busy and stuck in that victim mindset of being frustrated and angry. I, mm. I was very really was I, I. I didn't want to be around me. I off, I, I yep. thought about taking myself out of the equation. I I just didn't like who I was, where I was going, mm. and just thought, you know, what's the point? Yeah, so, and there's a lot of people I feel that way, in, you know, in a work environment. But, but yeah, I just want to get this out there, hopefully, put out there, and see. Yeah, if I can shift. Well, from the, yeah, and from the leadership point of view, I mean, when you mentioned, you know, a lot of people going to work every day, hating their jobs and all that sort of stuff, I feel like, I mean, part of it is the person's choice, you know, trying to navigate themselves to a career or whatever they want to do. But the other part of it, I think, is leadership plays a big part in that. You know, I see people coming to work unmotivated and getting treated like crap by bosses and all this sort of stuff. And you just think, nah, you can be better than this. Mm. And that's why I started the Thoughtful Leader stuff because I want to start helping create better better leaders to create better workplaces. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I quickly realized that, you know, you can't write a post about bad bosses or whatever and, and start preaching about that stuff because the people who need to read them don't give a crap about that stuff. They don't want to improve. So the best thing you can do is try to improve the people that do want to improve. Um, yeah. Nice take, Ben. I, I, I'm, yeah. That makes perfect sense. You're right because that, that's one of the frustrations I find is I want to help people in those roles. Hmm. I mean, who, who, who were, who were, who were, who are where I once was. Yep. So I mean, but then at the same time, if they, if they're happy with their, you know, 
their car, which is got sky high HP. The house yeah. that's too big, <laughs> all the all the design of clothes. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's all yeah. the stuff. If they're happy with that, then they're never going to want to change. But it's not until you well, and you know, and you know, you'll get people who are on that tipping point though, and they'll come across some of your stuff, and they'll go, "Oh, you know what? Yeah, I think I'll give that a listen or whatever." But then, yeah, there are those ones where they're they're not even ready yet, and they're going to be the harder ones to shift, obviously. Yeah, I mean, I've noticed a growing element of people when you have discussions. Workplaces are turning into being more transient now as well. There's, like, there's apprentices coming through, and and you hear them talk. When I was an apprentice, you didn't even discuss about your next job because you were just so far. Right. I'm I'm here for life. Yep. You know, and and they're coming in now and they're saying, oh well, you know, ten years and who knows. I'm thinking it's it's crazy to see the shift in people in such a short. Yeah. Time. I say short space of time. I was an apprentice twenty twenty two twenty seven <laughs> years ago, but but it doesn't feel that long ago, you know. And it's in in time yeah. perspective, it's not a long time ago. Yeah. No, you're yeah. right. There is a the workforce is changing significantly, and there's a there's all this um. But you see it every day, right? So I was driving the car today, and I thought, oh, you know, I might go, you know, take the dog out later. Watch the rugby later. Obviously, I got to watch to see if England can be the All Blacks. But anyway, um, after that, take the dog out, and I said, "Oh, you know, hey Google, what time does the sun set today?" Right? And so Google tells me, "Oh, you know, it's six thirty p.m. or whatever." And like, All right, cool. That gives me some time. But it's this instant. I was saying to my wife, "It's this instant gratification thing. I need to know this instant what time the sun sets." You know, whereas yeah. years ago, you just didn't have that. You know, you, you didn't think about that. You just sort of dealt with things. And now I, I, I do see a trend of the, some of the younger people coming through the workforce where they do want everything now. So they think they can step up now, do more stuff now, get paid more now. Yeah. And, and it's to a credit to them, I think. I mean, I, they are good operators, but there's a little bit of patience required as well. And I think you're seeing that with that the transients in the apprentices as well, yeah. Yeah, patience is like... Uh, one of the hardest ones to cultivate, I think. Yeah. I mean, I remember I was like that as well, right? So I started consulting relatively, I don't know, when I was 30. So I was considered mature as a consultant, right? Because there's all these young kids, you know, already in the system in consulting. Um, and when I was in there, I was thinking, oh, no, I've got to step up out of this, you know, and keep, you know, jumping up the ladder. Hmm. But you sort of just, and now that I think back, I'm like, yeah, there's no real rush, you know. You know, you don't have to go bananas trying to smash everything out of the park. You can just take a breath. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's um, that's that's something else I've recently become aware of as well. Um, for different messages. Used to, everything used to be a grind, a slog. Um, in, in fact, when I was on the shop floor, that's the terminology we used. You know, it's, you tend to talk in a way as if you're dragging something. Yep. Um. And what me and because my wife is pursuing her own um, business endeavors on the, on the side as well. Oh, but awesome! We, yeah. So, um, but what we realized is, like, I mean, is is this hustle and grind porn us out there too? You know, where you see like people, yep. you know, you know, sleep for six hours and grind for the rest, and that's it, that doesn't vibe with me. I mean, if it if it vibes you, you know, <laughs> kudos to you, but it doesn't vibe with me. Yeah. Um, yep. But what I've discovered is. This uh, life, life is a journey, and I want to enjoy as much as it as I possibly can. And if that means um, slowing down on getting to the destination, so I can take some more stuff in, I'm going to do that. Yep. Um, so, what's what's your what's your take? Have you got any like 
things that you've noticed because obviously you've, you've you've been around with, with in different environments different businesses consultant coaching mm. i mean um my take on that so yeah, I, I sort of agree with you like there's no I think partly, you know, in your mid twenties and that sort of stuff, what I noticed about myself was you didn't really care about work that much. I was sort of, you know, going out drinking, partying <laughs> and you, you know, you got your career and all this sort of stuff and that's cool, but you don't obsess about it. Yeah. Then you sort of hit your thirties and you start going, okay, what am I doing for money? Do I want to buy a house and all this stuff or whatever it might be? Um, have a family and all those sort of things. And then it starts to become sort of a big deal, more of a big deal, the whole career thing. Um, and I think, you know, sitting in front of a room full of 20-year-olds and telling them they should think more about their future and, they, you know, at that time, I don't think they're ready for it, right? They're probably going to go, yeah, it's fine. And you probably, you might not have been ready for it either back at that time. So, yeah, I just find that there is a bit of a, a bit of a rush and there's still but – but it kills me as well to, sit, to see people sitting in environments where they just hate it, but they, they just sit there. And I've got a couple of friends like that, um, and it does my head in. <laughs> but you can't, you, you can't just, you can't keep preaching at them and all this sort of stuff um, because it, it doesn't have an impact. They're not ready to 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 make a shift. Um, but yeah, I guess yeah. I mean, that's I, I sort of I think I've got a similar mindset to you now. It's it's it's, it's terribly frustrating when you're especially like you said friends, and you can see them mm. sitting in it, and you think. I could, I could so help you, but you, you're not at the point to flip or pivot. Yep. You just, yep. you, you, and I think that's where that victim mindset comes in. It's like life's happening to you, to me, not for me. And you said earlier yeah. on the, you know, you, you, you look at things a certain way, which, and that mindset, it got, it, it's such a change and allows you to feel such empowerment in life. It does, although it can. I think I think they call it um the leadership literature, like you know, locus of control. If you've got a, yeah. um, you know, what is it, internal locus of control, you reckon you can do everything yeah. yourself. And if you're external, things happen to you. So then, um, but it's it also I found it gives you a lot of frustration as well. So if I'm in a work environment where I'm unable to shift the situation enough, you know, even in a leadership role or whatever, um. I get incredibly frustrated and that's been one of my challenges in the workplaces is to keep a lid on it and start to realize, okay, you don't actually control everything. You've got to actually, you know, look at your sphere of influence and all that sort of stuff to make sure you keep a lid on these frustrations. Cause I think it comes with, I'm sort of, yeah, yeah, I can control things and I'm master of my own destiny, but you've got to also <laughs> remember that you can't control everything. Otherwise I'll just get super frustrated. Yeah, no, you're, you're right. And, I'm writing that down because that's a good one for me to take back to the office. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, what else, when I when I shifted, and it was a, a process, and it took time, but more and more seeing the positive, building small steps, like you say, the sphere of influence, looking at what you can a, a, a affect, uh, mm. and then putting procedures and processes in place that allow you to do that consistently. Mm. Um, it, it's. I, 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 yeah, I understand what you're saying. It's, isn't, isn't the, part of the, the mindset you've got though, even though you use, um, like your sphere of influence and the internal, external locus of control, even though you've got frustrated, the frustration 
is a signpost for you to a degree. Definitely. Do you know what I mean? So what people don't, I don't know, I don't know if you've ever dug into emotions, but if, if you, I, I, I frame emotions now to myself as signposts. So if I'm angry, there's something, you know, opposite of that, that I need to, I obviously don't yep. want to be angry. So can I not be angry? Yep. But I also allow myself to experience it. Like the other day I was, I was, uh, I was fearful about something. So I, and I, you know, your, your heart starts beating faster. You go a little bit mm. cool. I thought I'm going to, I listened to a podcast and he said, let yourself feel the feeling. So I just went all out and went crazy in my head with this thought that I had, this yeah, fearful yeah. thought. Um, and it got to a level where the heart was beating fast, but then all of a sudden it just started to ease off. Yep. You know, and it, I, it was like, oh. So then, and then it, sort of, it sort of dissipated. But what we tend to do, I think, is when those things show up, we can hold on to the thought rather than, rather than following it. Do you know what I mean? You, you, you sort of... If you if if it was a timeline or a piece of video, instead of letting that video run through, you're taking a snapshot of it that drives you know the highest amount of anxiety, and holding that in front of yourself, which is going to drive more anxiety. Yeah. But, whereas if if you turn it into a video and then watch it, it comes to its end and then it just dissipates because all emotions are constantly moving. You're not constantly anxious. Mm. You're not constantly depressed. So I mean, reading on some of the backlog that you said. You said you were frustrated then. So how do you process frustration for yourself? So yeah, it's a good question. I've um and I've and I've noticed this probably in my last, you know, three to four leadership roles or whatever. You've got to that point where, you know, you can't control the people above you necessarily, so you influence as much as you can and you start to get frustrated, things like going your way. So I noticed that as one of the big challenges that I had to overcome. What I started actually doing was um I started doing a bit more mindfulness exercises and things like that, which weren't rocket science. Like it's, it's literally I would do things like I would sit on a chair and I would feel the chair against my legs and I would notice how my shoulders are sitting and all this sort of stuff, just basic stuff. And then I would observe my thoughts like you were doing where you say you sort of just treat your thoughts as um, you let them go without judgment and you just go, okay, how, what are they? What am I feeling? Oh, yeah, interesting, you know, and you treat them as information rather than, yeah, something significant, <clears throat> and it's just extra information for you to do. And then I then I then I'd start to in meetings and things at work. I started to consciously think of how my body's feeling. Like I'll be in meetings and I can tell on oh, my shoulders are sort of creeping up. They're getting a bit more tense and stuff like that. You know, depending on what the topic is. Yeah. And then I consciously go, okay, cool, and I take a breath, relax my shoulders, and now I'm starting to become far more aware <clears throat> of the triggers. Yeah. Um, which has been really useful. And I've written a few posts about it on Thoughtful Leader where um, the mindfulness stuff I think is critical because you've got to, like you said, the emotion, you know, the whole thing about emotional intelligence, which you know about, is the, um, you know, the ability to process emotions as information before you react to them rather than just going, oh, emotion, I'm angry, I'm going to punch this person or whatever, right? <laughs> you put a gap in the middle. Um you know, you've got that gap in the middle where you can process the information and go, all right, that's an emotion. I'm feeling scared. Oh, that's interesting. Why is that? And you can dig into it. So I've become better at, at that. And that's, um, that's been very helpful. Although the whole concept of the sphere of influence and thing as well, I've, um, 
I've had conversations with people and they say, oh, you know, yeah, you know, it's not in your sphere of influence, you know, or it's in your sphere of um, concern because you're concerned about it, but it's not in your sphere of influence. You can't do anything about it. But I think, you know, even if something is out of your control, that doesn't mean you have to like it. So you still have to, it's you're well within your rights to say, you know what, I don't want to tolerate this environment or whatever it might be. Yeah, it might be out of my control, but I don't have to put up with it. So it started to become that a bit of empowerment as well. And I think I'm trying to, yeah, I've done a lot of work on the mindfulness aspect to try to, to shift um, that frustration and to make it a bit more constructive for myself. Mm. Um, and particularly, you know, I had a couple, this was years ago, and I think I've written about it as well, where I had a bit of a blow up at work, which is quite uncharacteristic for me. I'm pretty calm and, you know, controlled generally, but I had a blow up and I, <laughs> which was quite, yeah, uncharacteristic. And I, that's when I started to go, okay, that's the trigger. You've got to, you've got to, you've got to nail that. You've got to be better at managing that frustration. Um, so that's where, that's where I started working on it. What, what was the emotion for the, for the trigger? <laughs> For that one, that was it was frustration again because things just weren't moving. So we were dealing with some external supplier or whatever, and they were you know they kept stuffing things up, and I just sort of exploded at them, and basically shouted at them and that sort of stuff, which is very rare for me. Mm -hmm. And um, and yeah, it just made us all feel like crap, right? <laughs> you know, it didn't. It didn't solve anything, you know. It's not like they went, oh, okay, we'll fix the problem now. They were just annoyed. I was annoyed. Um, you know, it was just, and it wasn't the biggest blow up you've ever seen, you know, there's worse that have happened. But for me, I was like, yeah, that's not where I want to be. Um, particularly in a leadership role, cause you know, people see that, but you know, you, you're a role model pretty much, even if you don't consider yourself one, you sort of are for your workplace and you set the tone for the culture, the way you behave as well. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, look from, from that, I mean, if you can cut yourself enough slack from that, it's, it's allowed you to grow into who you are now. Oh, hundred percent. And I do cut myself slack. I mean, that's why I like writing about it. And, and I'll talk about mindfulness and stuff. And in the articles, I don't pretend I'm some sort of mindful genius where I'm completely in control of all my emotions and I'm, you know, like a superhero. It's, um, you still got those flaws, but you can just manage them a bit better. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, I, I'm, uh, that's, that's what I mean. I'm working progress. Um, and I don't. I think, we all, I think we all are, mate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, 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 but I don't. I don't pretend to have all the, uh, you know, all the answers or pretend to know it all. It's, I, I've said it many times on the podcast. That I'm work in progress. I'm not perfect, but I'm maybe further along than people, you know, further down the road. You know. Well, and that's the thing they say, right? If you want to teach someone something, you just have to know more than them. You don't have to know the most in the world. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Which I think, and that's, that that in itself sometimes can hold us back. You know, the, when, when we, when we, th especially in the personal development space, when you think of like the Tony Robbins is, um, oh, yeah, yeah, Gary yeah. V, you know, all those sort of, you know, big yep. Proctor, all those sorts of people. And, uh, we, we tend to aspire or, or perceive that we need to be this, this super guru. Yep. Do you know what I mean? That's super famous. Got all this publicity is on all the media channels. Um, yeah. to help someone and that's not necessarily the case at all you know well and I see what I've done is um, yeah and I you know I see the same people Gary Vee and all those guys and Pat Flynn and those sort of people yep but um, yeah. I yeah I've started keeping my mind now that 
you know, especially when you're doing sort of a individual business type of thing, is more about your personality and what you bring to the table rather than you having to be the biggest, you know, best leadership expert in the world or whatever. Because yeah. you know, some people will some people will gel with your personality and they they'll hate Gary V, so they're going to come to you, not Gary V. You know what I mean? So that's, that's what I keep in my head all the time when I start to think, oh no, you know, I'm not famous enough or whatever. Yeah, yeah it's you know, it's about getting it out there. Most of these people, like Gary, will tell you, like. It tells you what time, how long it's taken him. And the biggest thing that he's cultivated yep. is patience. And that's what he tells yep. all these 20-year-old people that are keen as mustard, is be patient. You've got time. Just execute daily. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like you with the um, – yeah, and I, I think that's that's the message for me, the consistency piece. So, you know, if you're writing, then write every week. If you're podcasting, do it every week. Don't skip a week and that sort of stuff. Um, but the whole hustle thing, I, I'm on your um, – I agree with you. I don't really – yeah, I don't really gel with that. Like, I'll, I get up early, right? But I don't, I don't go to bed at midnight. Like, I go to bed pretty early so I yeah. can get up early. I, I don't just not sleep because I've I know that that just kills me. It's particularly at work, you know. If I go to work with no sleep, oh, I'm a mess. And you, you just don't do your best work, right? So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not a big fan of this hustle thing. No, no, it's um, I, I've noticed that like sleep is probably the biggest impacted on me for whether I'm so uh, emotional or so res- responsive or reactional. So that's, yep. that's some, something else I learned from the past. Have you, have you heard this one? E plus R equals O? Uh, no, I don't think so. No. So this was apparently um, a basketball coach in America was something that I was his formula. It was, yeah, I was told about it and it it impacted me because it it shifted the way I thought about things. So E plus R equals O is events plus response equals outcome. Right. Yep. Yep. So it's how you respond to the events. How you respond to the events. But the problem is a lot of us don't respond, we react. Mm -hmm. So that's exactly, yeah, yep. Yeah. So if we live in the outcome. Yeah, the emotions and trying to put that gap between your emotion and the response. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I cut you off. That's okay. No, I was just going to say like the, the, the O for outcome. So that's where I put my focus. When I'm engaging with somebody, I put my focus on the outcome as in what do I want from this? Which sort yep. of then takes me to the next step is, okay, so the event has happened. What's the response or how am I going to react? So it allows me to moderate that, that, that aspect of it, which is the only variable. Because the event is not That's variable, you know. So you've gone, yeah. So you've got the E and the O are fixed, yeah. Because you know what you want, and then you you solve for R basically if you're doing a maths equation. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> so I like I like to share that one. That's the one that gave me the most growth. <laughs> well, I'm, I like math, so I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's cool. You have to solve R. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not so good at math, but yeah, I like that stuff. <laughs> okay. Look, I want to be respectful of your time, Ben. So I'll ask you uh, one more question, if that's okay. Yeah, um, good. Looking into the future, what would be the craziest and most exciting thing for you to be experiencing? That's interesting. Craziest, most exciting thing would be on a big stage at some event somewhere, some leadership event, and I'm the keynote speaker talking in front of 100,000 people. There you go. Nice. So I don't know what event a hundred thousand people. But <laughs> <laughs> it don't matter because you know you can you can you can construct that as you go. And you said you've got speaking engagements coming up. 
I do. I got one on Monday, which is two days away, which will be quite good. And it's only pretty small, but it's uh, it's a start, right? Absolutely. Small steps. Mm. Okay. And, and the last question then is, where can my audience find you and on what platforms? Best place to go is really just my website, um, www.thoughtfulleader.com. Um, you, from there, you'll be able to find links to the podcast and that sort of stuff. I'm also on LinkedIn and stuff, but they're all linked to from the um, website anyway. So that's where I'd send you, first of all. Okay, cool. Guys, I advise you to check Ben's workout. He's there's uh, a ton of free content on there, uh, and his blog posts, uh, uh, I'd say, inspiring and innovational. Because I've already printed one or two off, I'm going to take into work uh, to show. Yeah, I love that. Which one? Which ones? So the one that I've downloaded. Hang on a second. I'm <laughs> finding it. It was the how we get overwhelmed. It was a sense of like overwhelmed within the title. Oh, okay, um, something like, is your team overwhelmed or something like that, was it? I think it was, Anna, from the blog. I've got to tell you now. I'm just, I'm just interested to see what resonated with you. Yeah. So, so oh, is your team overwhelmed at work? Yes. Yep. Yeah? Yeah, because yeah, also the one where you need to work at 80%, is that the one? Yeah. Cool. And there's the other one as well that I downloaded was Essential Daily Habits to Maintain Your Workplace Well-Being. Ah, uh, yeah. Cool. So, And they're, probably, they're simple stuff, right? That like, it, it's not rocket science. But the, that one, that well-being one, I wrote to sort of give myself and other people a bit of a kick to hmm. remember, you know, don't wait till the crisis point where you've got no sleep and you're, and you're sick for two weeks. Um do it every day because you can make time for yourself to do those things. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Absolutely. And um, if obviously if any of your audience want to, post, you know, send me a question or whatever, um, just go through the contact page on my website. If they want any advice or whatever, I'm all good for that. Okay. I'll put that link in into the show notes anyway. Awesome. Um, yeah. Cool, man. Well, I thank you very much for uh, coming on. I wanted to no, thank, thank you. you for what you're doing in the world and trying to improve how people feel about work because I think that's a wonderful gift to be bringing. Um, oh, thank you for that. And keep going with, with um, sharing and, you know, the joint ventures and podcasting because, you know, this is a message that needs to get out there is, 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 a, is a lot of unhappy people in the world. And if we can just tweak yeah. one or two perspectives, then happy days. I agree, and you too. I'm really uh, impressed with what you're doing. I like the message on your podcast. It's pretty strong, strong theme. Thank you, Ben. So thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed it. My name is Joel Ingram, and I am a certified NLP coach. I help passionate, resourceful, and professional people feel stuck and unfulfilled with aspects of life to rewrite their narrative and chronicle a new, engaging, and captivating future. Please subscribe if you found benefit. Okay, make me wrap him up yeah. there. Great. Thank you very much for that. Um, much appreciated. Um, I'd love to stay no, in touch you. with you, Ben, if that's okay with you. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Enjoyed our conversation. It was good. Is, um, I didn't go so much into the personal stuff um, only because we was flowing on the, <laughs> on the office stuff. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, and, that's cool. But yeah, if we could, yeah, perhaps I'll put an email together and we, we can uh, get, get bump heads on what we think may be a way to proceed with or outline some form of 
I don't know, plan with regards to doing future podcasts? Yeah, I'd love that. That'd be good. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. All right, lovely job. Ben, thank you again for your time, and uh, I'll speak soon. Thanks, mate. I'll go see if England can beat the All Blacks. I don't think they can do it, but you never know. I'm going to go. I'll be rooting for the All Blacks. (laughs) Yeah, see, I I am too, because I can't stand being beaten by England. (laughs) The Wallabies got booted last week, so I'm already sad. (laughs) Yeah, we'll be shouting for the same team then. Yeah, cool, man. All right, have a good day, man. Lovely to meet you. Take it easy. Cheers, Ben. Bye.